Join with me for the next few minutes as I leave with you a message that the Lord has laid in my heart. Today I am continuing our mini-series on exposing false gospels. Let's hear the word of God as it's found in Galatians chapter 1 verses 6 through to 8. The scripture says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. The last week we looked at the moralistic gospel. Let's remember how we defined it. It is a call by priests and ministers and pastors and lay preachers for people to be good. People are told, strive to do the best that you can. Follow Jesus' example. Keep the law of God. Live out the Sermon on the Mount. Now, all of these ideas and all of these concepts are told to thousands of listeners the world over, week in and week out, inside the church and outside. Yet, as I have already told you, this is a false gospel message. These men are blind leaders of the blind, even though they're called Professor so-and-so and Doctor so-and-so and Cardinal this and Bishop that. These men are in the dark as to what the true gospel of Christ is. You see, the true gospel of Christ will never bypass Christ or his cross work or his precious shed blood. The true gospel of Christ will not fill your heart and mind with a sense of pride or a sense of achievement of merit um, because you have done something that makes you feel good to please God or to appease his wrath. The true gospel of Christ will never bypass the true depravity of sinful man. Remember, his will is dead. The understanding is darkened. His affections are diseased. The true gospel will never bypass evangelical repentance or faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the story of the rich young ruler. It's found in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 22. I urge you to read it and properly understood and interpret it in the light of the scripture. It will bring you to reject the moralistic gospel. That's the call to be good before God. Do the best that you can. And properly understood, that message, the message to the rich young ruler, will bring you to embrace the true gospel of Christ. Now, a sister to the moralistic gospel is what I'm calling the sacramental religious gospel. And that's what I want to expose today. At its heart, this gospel is a call to be religious. You can see the follow-on. The moralistic gospel is a call to be good. The sacramental religious gospel is a call to be religious. In other words, be a participant and a partaker of the church's rituals and ceremonies if you are religious and do the best that you can and holy by your good deeds, then perhaps God will eventually let you into heaven. You see, according to the Church of Rome, it teaches there is no salvation outside the church. What does that mean? 
It means that there's no salvation outside the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church claims to be the one true church of Christ on earth, and outside of that church there's no salvation. So all outside of it, every heretic, every apostate, or those within Protestantism are looked upon as separated brethren, and they need to return and repent and be received into Mother Church again. That's why the Roman Catholic Church, friends, is up to its neck in ecumenism. And Roman Catholic adherents, many sadly within Anglicanism, some even within Lutheran circles, have grown up to believe what I'd call in theological terms ex opera operato. That means that in or by virtue of the act. What does that mean? It's the act of taking the sacraments. And by the sacraments, the grace of God comes unto you or comes upon you simply because you have been involved in the act of receiving the sacrament. And Roman Catholic people all over the world have grown up to believe that you need Christ plus the priest plus Mary plus the church, plus the sacraments. Take, for example, whenever a child is born into the Roman Catholic community, the priest has to be sent for and he comes and eventually administers the sacrament of baptism. That's a sign that you've been brought into the mother church and a sign that original sin has been cleansed away. You see, I remember meeting a man in Coleraine one time. I was giving out tracts and I stopped this man and I offered him a gospel tract and I asked him would he like to receive one and he said no. Now we met first of all in New Row. We met three times providentially in different streets and the same thing happened, the same response. He said no. I picked up the courage and said to him on the third occasion, I have a message from God for you and the message is this, you must be born again. And he surprised me. In fact, I was shocked. This is what he said. I am born again. So I asked him, well, when did you be born again? My suspicions were aroused simply because he had refused to tract. And he says, I was born again when I was baptized as a child into the Roman Catholic Church. You see, that's the doctrine of baptismal regeneration. And I utterly reject that. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach that in baptism, when the water is applied to a child, that the blood is also applied and original sin is cleansed away. And, and, and you see, we've got to be very careful whenever a Roman Catholic tells us that they've been born again. We need to prize exactly out of them what they mean by that statement. And then, of course, when the child is seven, it needs the priest again in the sacrament of confirmation. That's a, a service to strengthen what has happened in one's baptism. And, of course, impart the gifts of the Holy Spirit to that child. And then, of course, there's the sacrament of the Mass, affectionately called by many the sacrament of the Eucharist. And uh, you think of the Roman Catholic priest standing at the altar after the prayer of consecration. He claims by a strange magical power to have the power of transubstantiation, that is, change the bread into the, the actual body and blood and sinews and tissues of Christ. And he holds it up before the faithful and says, Behold, the Lamb of God was taken of the way the sin of the world. And when he puts that wafer in the tongue of the faithful, what does he say, folks? He said, this is the Lamb of God. Or, or receive the body of Christ. 
And you see, that's what the Roman Catholic, uh, many of them mean when they talk about receiving Christ. It's not the same as receiving Christ by faith. It's not the same as in the Reformed and Protestant Church. And there's a vast difference because it's tied into this whole system of sacramentalism. And then, of course, there's the sacrament of reconciliation that's connected to ocular confession when you go to the priest and confess your sins. And connected to that is a system of penance, if that's for venial or mortal sins, according to the teaching of the Church of Rome, and the priest will say to the uh, faithful penitent uh, upon absolution, um, say ten Hail Marys, or five Our Fathers, or give some alms, or, or do a charitable deed, or, or, or help out in the local community. And that's all a form of, of being reconciled uh, to uh, God through the Church. And then, of course, there's the Sacrament of Holy Orders. That's not for the laity. That's only for the clergy, the, the priests, the cardinals, the bishops, the nuns, the monks, etc. And they make a big distinction between the laity and the uh, clergy and the laity. And, of course, there is no uh, distinction in the Bible. It's foreign to the New Testament. The, the, the priests and nuns and monks are not on a higher spiritual lane uh, than, than other people. They're not more holy and more acceptable to God because of their uh, uh, order of, of religious activity. And then, of course, there's the sacrament of marriage uh, for those who are married in the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, and again, the priest is sent for in the sacrament of last rites. A uh, Roman Catholic person is dying. The priest is called for. He administers the last rites. There's the holy anointing oil used for the sick. And what does he tell the faithful? Well, the person's dying, gasping the last breath. The church has done all that she can for you. Or, or um, uh, And uh, you uh, now must look to Christ. You, you see... Roman Catholic priests don't deny that we need Christ. But they do deny that we need Christ alone. They say we need more than Christ. You see, it's not Christ alone. It is Christ plus the church. It is Christ plus the sacraments. It's Christ plus Mary. Because they teach that Mary's a co-redeemer, a co-mediatrix. It's Christ plus the priest. You need the priest when you're born, when you're alive, when you're dying. It's, it's, you need Christ plus the scriptures, plus the traditions of men. You see, at its heart, it's a system of works righteousness. It's a system of grace and merit. Only the grace, according to Roman Catholicism, comes by participation in this sacramental system. You need the sacraments, and Roman Catholicism teaches that you can't be saved without them. And so does many within the Anglican Communion, some within the Lutheran Communion. And I want to tell you, it's far, far removed from the true gospel of Christ. This is the heresy that Paul exposed in the church at Galata. This was the, another gospel that had come in. It's a gospel of grace and merit linked together. Uh, um, it was the same in the church at Colossae. Uh, and it's a works-based system. And this sacramental gospel teaches that the ground of salvation is not what Jesus Christ has done alone. It's not the ground of salvation and what Jesus Christ has done alone, we must add to that work of Christ by our work, our puny, human, sinful works, as if God would be pleased by them. Therefore the faithful are told, receive the sacrament, pray this prayer, do this and that. But, but they never properly understand John chapter 19, verse 30, which says, it is finished. That's what the Lord Jesus said. That was one of his cries in the cross. What was finished? Not I am, but it is. In other words, in the Greek, it's one word, tetelestai. It means done, complete. 
Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, who was incarnated in the womb of the Virgin, who, who was born in the fullness of time with a true and real humanity, who lived among men a, 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 a life of, of um, uh, real flesh and blood, um, who, who never committed a, 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 a sinful uh, word or, or uttered a, a sinful deed or, 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 or entertained a sinful thought. The, the, the Lord Jesus, remember, he came in a mission of mercy. He came to fulfill the work that God the Father had given him to do from all eternity. And what was that work? It was the work of securing eternal redemption. And that redemption is now accomplished. That's what he was meaning. It is finished. In other words, the work's done. The work's complete, Hebrews 10 and 12. But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God. And of course, he accomplished that work. And Paul explained, therefore, by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it's the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast and this sacramental religious gospel is a works based system now of course there is a place for good works in the life of believer but it's never the ground of our salvation I want you to understand that it's but the evidence it's but the fruit and we're not saved because we have certain fruits in our lives we are saved by grace alone in Christ alone, through faith alone, as revealed in the scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. We're not saved because we have earned it. We're not saved because it's given to us as a reward. Heaven is not a reward. Heaven is a gift. Why? Because the work is done. The work is complete. And, and because the penitent sinner exercises true faith in Christ. That's the act of believing. The sinner believing in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And once born again of the Holy Spirit, that individual sinner is now a partaker of new life. And he enters into a life of loving obedience and service to the Lord. And that special relationships, folks, is not rooted in our obedience to his commands out of a mere sense of duty, but because we love him. Because we love him. His love is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And every true believer has a loving desire for him. To, to live for him. To say with Paul, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And as a gospel minister these past 22 years, I have never called on men and women to be good. That's the moralistic gospel. I've never called upon them to be religious or to become religious. And, and I, I've never said to people, well, I want you to devote your life to follow the teaching of the church because it's not the church that saves. It's Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And you today cannot be a true Christian until you're born again of the Holy Spirit, until you've repented of your sin and received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's the teaching of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You know, there's one gospel story unfolded in the Bible from the beginning of time to the end of time. The Lord Jesus is the seed of the woman. Genesis 3.15, look it up. Read it in your own Bible. Link it up with Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. The Lord Jesus Christ is the lamb slain in the heart and mind of God from before the foundation of the world. You'll find that information in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. In other words, the Holy Spirit who superintended the writing of the scriptures, you see, it's all about Christ, the Bible. Be instructed before leaving earth. There's a little acrostic, young people, in the Bible. Be instructed before leaving earth. And what does it teach us? 
It teaches us all about Christ, his personal work. It's Christocentric. It's the unfolding of God's story of a wonderful plan of redemption that centers in a Redeemer who was to come. And that Redeemer has come, and that Redeemer is none other than Jesus Christ. And redemption centers in the personal work of Christ. The gospel is not be good or strive to do the best that you can. The gospel is not be religious and join the church. Joining the free Presbyterian church won't save you. And neither will joining the Roman Catholic church save you. And and being religious and uh, receiving the sacraments, there's no grace that comes through the sacraments. The grace comes, the source of that grace is from God through our Lord Jesus Christ, received by faith alone. And the call of the gospel is, Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And I asked you, have you repented? Have you received Christ as he's offered you in the gospel? I I say to you in the Lord's name, repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. It's not about a religious commitment. It's about a personal relationship through faith in Jesus Christ. And that comes about through the instrumentality and work of God's Holy Spirit. God bless you and thanks for listening.